0: Welcome to the Grace Point Church podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message.
1: Today's a special day in that we are going to be highlighting uh, a portion of our Christmas offering, which is something that we do every Christmas. We've been doing this for about, I don't know, 12 or 13 years, and we zero in on different areas of, of need. Now, let me take you back six months ago. Six months ago, and it's even been longer than that, but six months ago, we were really at that point now thinking, okay, what does Christmas offering look like for 2023? Well, it didn't take much thinking uh, about what, where the needs are in the world, okay? It became more and more glaring to us, even in recent months, that there is a lot of war in this world, and that's not what the Christmas story is about. Whenever the angels declared that the peace on earth, goodwill to men, that was the Jesus message, okay? That was the angelic message that our Savior is going to be coming to be bringing peace on earth in a world of war. It's really hard. Let me take you back to, to years ago in 1993 when I first went to the country of Ukraine. When I went there, it changed my life, changed my perspective, changed how I see the world, even uh, it changed my family, where we lived, what we've done. It's even impacted Grace Point. That was years ago when I went to Ukraine after the fall of communism, like two years after that, and saw the gospel so receptive. Well, Ukraine definitely came dear and dear to my heart in that time. Well, two years ago, nearly. When war broke out, Putin decides that he's going to take over uh, a, a sovereign country and move in. And again, you can get into all the political ramblings of that, but the inhumanity of what's happened to the Ukrainian people is absolutely absurd. And it's unchristian. And when we talk about peace on earth and goodwill to men, that is not what it looks like. So we begin to think about how, what would it look like for us as Grace Point? to send, give, be a part of a peace process. Well, that introduction happened whenever we found out, learned about these We Care Centers that are located strategically all around the country of Ukraine. And we said, what would it look like if Grace Point were to adopt one of those We Care Centers? Maybe not forever, but maybe for six months, if we could just say, hey, we're gonna be committed to food and shelter and PTSD counseling and gospel presentations to people who are maybe far from Christ. What would that look like? Well, introduction after introduction, we met up with uh, Ukrainian Baptist Theological Seminary that are doing some incredible, inventive, creative ways of ministering to the people of Ukraine. And I was introduced to Slavic Pizh, I hope I said that correctly something close to that uh as as uh, as he became fast friends in Zoom and phone calls and conversations with even the organization that is helping to organize it here in the states that he's going to come he's come from Ukraine literally got on a plane yesterday morning in uh, in, in Krakow Poland to come to be with us today And so he's sharing with us today about what is happening real time in Ukraine and what the Baptist seminary in Ukraine, the students are doing real time to bring peace on earth, goodwill to men. So would you give a great big, oh, by the way, his lovely wife is here as well. And would you give a great big Northwest Arkansas welcome to Slavic as he comes. (laughs) Thank
0: you. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. you. It's a privilege for us to be with you, my wife and I. We've been traveling quite a bit to get here. Our uh, day—that's our family, actually. You know, with the family that you've seen there, we have three kids that we worked for, and two kids that got for free for us because our sons got married. We still have one daughter that, see, my wife and I in the middle, so our oldest, Bogdan, I don't know, they tend to have a lot of hair. And his wife, Martha. And on the other side is Slavic and his wife, Tanya. And by me, it's my daughter, Aliyah. And I told her to take her all her time she needs to. I'm going to have a hard time, I guess. I told her, you know, whenever she gets married to keep her... Husband away from me for at least a year. But um, our oldest one is 26. And those two are actually twins, Slavic and Alia. They are 23. I got married early in life. And we've been married for 27 years since that time. (laughs) I wish I could get married earlier but it was illegal so I had to wait till legal age. So um, we live in Lviv, Ukraine which is western part of Ukraine. It's uh, one of the safer parts of Ukraine. Um, We do have drone attacks, we do have missile attacks, we do have sirens all the time and so for that reason we carry our cell phones all the time because we have that little app that tells you the drones coming your way or missiles coming your way. So coming to the States, every time we come to the States, it it takes a few days of adjustment because how peaceful your life is. I know that you cannot understand that, but that's okay. You don't need to understand everything. At least enjoy it and keep it as long as possible. Uh, Because when I remember it was the first year, it was very difficult for us. You know, when you hear the sound of plane here you don't pay attention to it or a helicopter you don't pay attention to it when we hear that (laughs) it's it's kind of weird but we are kind of looking for a hiding place so the first uh, first year of the war today is 663 days since the war started you know uh, this missile they sound like jets and I did not know that before the war started, so every time when a missile kind of fly our way, we can hear that that's every time when we come here and hear the the sound of of a plane, it kind of you know makes you a little shaking a little bit. but that's kind of life in Ukraine right now for the last six hundred and sixty three days. What I want to say is thank you. thank all of you for praying for us supporting us because your nation, United States, from the very first day been a great supporter and help for us. All your help that you've given to us is helping us to stand against this evil that came to our land. And they openly said that the whole purpose of that war is to destroy us as a nation because they do not believe that Ukrainians exist. And so for us, it's kind of existential war. There's no way here we have to win because if we're going to lose, we're not going to exist. So that's every day we fight, every day we fight for our life and for our existence. So I would like to, for you to know that every single Ukrainian appreciates all the help that's coming from the United States because without your help, we will be fighting what was rocks and sticks, but now we, we have something to put up a pretty good fight. And I don't know if you remember that or not, but when the war broke out, we were given like three days to exist. But if my math is correct, we've been fighting for 663 days already. And so far, it doesn't look like Russia is doing that great. So I think that we're doing a whole lot better. But it comes with a great price. We're losing people. And compared to Ukraine, I mean, compared to Russia, Ukraine is a very, very small country. If you want to do that exercise at home, go, come back home and Google the map of Russia and map of Ukraine, and you will see Russia is about this big, and Ukraine is about this big compared to Russia. But we've been able, with your help, to withstand all that pressure. But today I'm not going to be talking about war that much. That's not my point at all. I mean, it's a Christmas time, so Christmas time is about hope, about joy, and actually it's about peace, and peace is in our prayers every single day, and so what I would like to do today is to share a little bit about from their book of Acts, and then kind of bring a little bit of our experience and I'm really grateful that your church is willing to help us with these we care centers that serves they serve uh older people in Ukraine. But before that, just give me let, let me tell you a little bit about ourselves so you can uh, kind of put things together. We were born in Ukraine and uh, we lived there till two thousand and six. And two thousand six we moved to Fort Worth, Texas. I was working on my PhD there, got my PhD, and moved back to Ukraine in 2012. So what happened, when we moved to Fort Worth, our kids were 10 and 6 years old. The twins were 6, and the oldest one was 10. And the thing that I did not know, when you bring Ukrainians to Texas, you get Texans back. (laughs) With everything what comes. So what had happened to us, we did bring three Ukrainians to Texas, and we got three Texans back, and one of them is back to Texas now. So all our kids live in the U- United States. Uh, our oldest one lives in Austin, Texas, so that's where we're going to spend our Christmas. So, you know, he g- gave us a call yesterday, and he said, Mom, can you believe that, that you come coming to visit me? So he has his house, his wife, and so, so we as the parents come in first time to visit him. And so he's so proud of that. I, I guess he's a bit concerned about that too. You know, having parents around is going to be, I'm not sure that he's going to be a boss, boss of the house anymore because mom is there. But we will try to behave. I, I can promise you that. But so that's, that's kind of, for us, it's going to be Christmas was our kids and other two live in Saint Louis, Missouri, not that far away from here, I guess. So they will join us for Christmas. So, if you think about Ukraine for Christmas, you can give praise to the Lord that He allowed at least one Ukrainian family to be together for Christmas. So that's that's about us. Then we moved back to Ukraine in 2012, and I became a president of the seminary. Actually, in 2013, on December 12th, which is about 10 years of my presidency there, God is great because when I moved to to the seminary, we had about forty five students at that time. This year we have thirty three hundred students. Yeah, I I, could, I don't understand how that happened. So, but all of that kind of um, later will make sense why I've given these numbers because now we have seventeen. Centers that we're working with, and those 17 centers that are started by our students and graduates across the country—they touch in 20 to 25,000 people a month. So altogether, that is about 300,000 people a year. And you will understand what it means at the end of this presentation. But now I would like you to open your Bibles, and we will read from Acts chapter eight. Verse 1 through 8. Acts 8, 1 through 8. Uh, a little bit of a background story to this. This is one in the book of Acts. Luke is talking about the first persecution that came to the uh, to Christians in, in Jerusalem. St- Stephen was killed. And here's the first time when we read about Saul and everything what he was doing. And here's the first time when we read that Christians were leaving Jerusalem, kind of looking for a you know, safer place. So let us read this, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. devout men buried, buried Stephen. And made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So, just kind of, if you look at this description, what Luke is saying, that the first part, these first four verses talking about Saul and the persecution that came to Christian church. I don't know if you connected these things or not, but you know, war in Ukraine actually brought persecution to our churches. I belong to Baptist Union, which is probably kind of the most, like Southern Baptist here is like what Baptist Union that I'm part of there. And so at the beginning of the war, we had almost 2,200 churches. But after the war, Started, we lost 400 churches, and a lot of pastors, about 500 church leaders, we lost them because they moved out of the country, or some of them got killed, or some something like that. But when Russia came, with Russia came a lot of persecution to Christians, especially in those only in those occupied areas where Russia is kind of right now. So for them. Being evangelical or being a Protestant is equal to being American, and for them, Americans and Protestants kind of one thing, and so for that reason, they persecute all the evangelical Christians in the territories that they occupied. But the similar thing happened to to early church. So you know, the first seven chapters, just before this, uh, Stephen was killed the church had a pretty good time. What they were experiencing, actually miracles. People were joining the church. Peter was preaching, 3,000 joined them. And so they were getting together and they would come to their temple every time to serve and worship God. And then something happened in their life. Stephen was killed and persecution broke out. And so this is kind of similar to what all of us experience. You know, life is kind of going in a comfort way, and then something terrible happens. And that terrible actually disturbs our typical good life. And this terrible, I would call disruptive reality. You know, we kind of live in the flow, and so when this flow is disrupted, the whole life is becoming a big mess. For us, that happened on February 24 when the war broke out. We lived a normal life. We had our joys, you know, we had our sorrows and all of that, but then the war came. And now when we think about our life, we think life before the war and after the war. And, you know, our grandparents, they still remembered um, World War II, and they would always say, you know, whatever trouble you have in life, they would say, that's not a big trouble, as long as you don't have war. Guess what? He became that generation now. So whoever's complained to me about life or things, I would say, you know what? It's nothing, as long as you don't have war. And so that's, that was a big disruption in our life. And it, it does happen in our lives on, on a different scale. I hope you will never go through war. But with early church, the same disruption came when persecution came. And so what this disruption does to us, what that persecution did to early Christians, you know, the first thing that it impacts, it actually impacts our foundational beliefs or theology that we have. Whatever you call it, it's kind of the same thing. When I talk about foundational beliefs, What happened to these early Christians when persecution broke out? What happened to them when Stephen was killed? They were crying. They were lamenting over him. But guess what kind of question did they have? What was the first question that came to their mind when persecution broke out and Stephen was killed? Do you have any guesses? What comes to your mind when the big disruption comes to your life? Exactly. That's the question that this disruptive reality brings. Why? Why did that happen to me? Guess what, hap- what question did we have on the morning of 24 when the w- war broke out? It was, would be really interesting, but the way we learn about war, our kids from the States call us at 4 o'clock in the morning into Ukraine and said, Mom, Dad, war broke out. I never thought that I would ever hear these kind of words out of my kids. And so the the first question that came was, why? Why did it happen to us? What have we done? And I think this is the same thing that was happening to, to, to those early Christians. They were asking, why? What have we done? What evil have we done? They didn't. But it did change their life. It was life before persecution, and life after the persecution. And so what did change in their fundament, fundamental beliefs or in their theology that they have? We'll come back to that. But the second area that this why or this disrupted reality impacts is actually self. What are we thinking about ourselves? You know... One day, these early Christians in Jerusalem, they had their normal life, they were living together, sharing what they had, but then when persecution came, what happened to them was in one moment, from being normal, they became abnormal because they were persecuted by people. And so, you know, that's the same question why came not to only what they believed but what they thought about themselves. And in our case this why was Lord, are you in control? I mean, what what happened to to life? Why this mess is happening? I mean, what is my role in all of that? Why sh- why should we go through all of this? These all existential questions happen here when something really disruptive happens in our life. And you know what we r- usually think, and it depends how, how safely you you know your environment is. But in a safe environment, I actually heard people or I experienced that, they would come to me and say, do you really believe that God exists? Do you really believe that he's paying attention to us? And, you know, it's very difficult because one of the things that war, you know, in my life, what it did, when I speak at conferences in Ukraine after the war broke out, all of these questions that were, they usually they would ask you at then a conference like, They would be like theoretical questions, but now it's different. Like, I got a question in one of my presentations. What should I tell my daughter who was raped by Russian soldiers? I mean, that disruptive reality actually impacts that self. It impacts what we think about ourselves. And, you know, this disruption is different. But it causes the same things. The third area that it really impacts is what we do. I would call it forms. Guess what? With these early Christians, in one day, before persecution, they were listeners. They were listening to who? Apostles. They were teaching. But then when persecution came, what happened to them? They just spread around Judea and Samaria. And what they started doing? They started preaching the Word. So this disrupted reality turns them from listeners to preachers. The same thing to us, you know. Before the war started, we were educational institution. And you know what seminary does. You have students, you have professors, you have desks, you have classrooms and things like that. The first day of war came. We moved all the desks out, moved the mattresses in. Blankets, food, and everything else. And in the first two and a half months, we actually hosted from 10 to 12,000 people because they were moving from east of Ukraine to west of Ukraine, moving out of the country to Europe. In one point of time, we actually had more than 20 million Ukrainians leaving the country or moving from east to west. That's more than half of our population. 14 of them have returned back to Ukraine, and we have about 6.5 million that left. And so what it did, this disrupted reality for us as the school, it changed us from the school to a refugee center. And that's actually where the idea of these v-care centers came up. Because, you know, when we served as a refugee center, we realized that most of our students across the country doing the same thing. But they don't have partnership as we have. They don't have as many friends as we have. So we said, why don't we move back to what we are called to do, teach students, and help those students and graduates do what they do and share resources and people. So whatever you're going to do this Christmas is actually going to impact one of those vCare centers. And you know what they do. They give food. They provide emotional help. I mean, in the whole country, you would not find one person that does not have PTSD anymore. And we do not even understand how that war impacts us now because we will only understand it after the war. Now we're still in the middle of the war. War is still raging there. And so these We Care Centers, we hope that this year we're going to establish at least four counseling centers that are helping people with these issues. And the most important for me, all of these people that come into care centers, they can hear the gospel. All of them. And they can see it. And the fourth area where this disruptive reality actually impacts is the whole understanding of this world. I mean, for these early Christians, how big their world was? The size of Jerusalem because all of them were staying in Jerusalem. When the persecution came, the world extended. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples when he was leaving? Go and do what? Make disciples starting where? Jerusalem to the end of the world, yeah? And where his disciples were staying? In Jerusalem, only after chapter 8, they moved out of Jerusalem because that disruptive reality actually moved them out of there. You know, before the war, you know, we were preaching the gospel, serving people and, and things like that. But when war came, our churches got flooded with people. You know why? Because these people are seeking for physical help, emotional help, Spiritual help. We did not do anything to bring them to us. This disrupted reality did it to us. And now, in one second, just, just kind of our put together this. Our country has a population of about 35 million people. And in one year, through the seminary and wecare centers, we can reach out to 300,000 People, And they are not church people at all. This disrupted reality that in Ukraine we call war have changed our world. It brought all these people to us. And so when I look at all of this, the reason I'm presenting that, do you think that? are... Early Christians were so happy with their persecution that they that came and they experienced. I don't think it brought any joy to them. But see, as a result of that persecution, they left Jerusalem, and all of them started to preach the word. Can you remind me who was preaching the word before the persecution? Only. Apostles, nobody else. After persecution, you can read it, chapter 8, all the faithful started to preach the word. So the word expanded. So nothing good comes with war or nothing good comes with persecution. There's only one exception. You and I, you and I, we believe in God that turns evil into something good. He redeems evil into something great. He does not force us to do something. I wish he would force Putin to do different things, but he would not do that. He's the God that gave us free will. And he knew what he was doing. But he always worked with outcomes of our decisions. And wherever evil our decisions are and outcomes are, he always can turn them into something good and great. In our case, he gave us access to 300,000 people that listen to the gospel, that can experience God. Will I thank him for war? No, I will not. But I will thank him for what he did with that evil that other people do. And I will thank him that he gave us an opportunity to present him and his love to all these people that were serving him. So when you look at your life, and I look at my life, Normal life quite often ends with disruptive reality. Something happens in our life. And it started impacting what we believe, who we are, what we do, and how we engage with this world. You know, when this disruptive reality came to me personally, it was very difficult. It changed my theology, it changed my kind of fundamental beliefs. It was very difficult for me to pray the first couple of months. And you know why it was difficult for me to pray? Because in the same prayer, I wanted to ask God protection and blessings on our soldiers. And in the same prayer, I wanted him to kill all the Russians that came to our land. And I never did it before. I never, put in, I never tried to put in one prayer blessing on one people and destruction on other people. It was so difficult to do that. I was reading the books of Psalms, and David helped me with that. And you know what, how my theology changed as a result of that? I realized that prayer is not a place for logical thoughts. Prayer is the place where I express my heart to God and let him deal with that. Because he is a whole lot bigger than me, and even my life. But that's disruptive reality changing my theology. How did it change me? Myself. You know, I realized that bad, thing, that bad things happen to normal people. And I cannot control it. I cannot control people's decisions. I cannot control things that happen around me. There's only one thing that I can control. My attitude and my response to these things. That changed in me. War came, and with war, fear comes. And a lot of people, because of fear, make different choices. But I'm grateful that we have people that still decided to stay in Ukraine and serve others. You know, how did it change the forms? I never thought about transforming the whole nation. I was thinking about preaching the gospel. But when the war came, I realized that God gave us an opportunity to see our people differently. Because, you know, I know that you're praying for peace. When you think about Ukraine, please add victory there too. But there's one very, very important thing for me as a result of all that. God gave us an opportunity and we can reach out to people and change them that we never had before. I would like to conclude that with three stories of three of our students that saw the same opportunity. One of them is Vova. You can see his picture. That guy is, I don't know how old he is, probably 21 years old. He lives in western Ukraine, but he left his home and moved the very first months of war to Kharkiv, and just for you to understand, Kharkiv is less than 20 miles away from the Russian border. I was visiting Kharkiv about two months ago, and when you go there, you can still hear every day explosions on the background because it's so close to the fighting. And he's living there, serving young people. Because, you know, when war comes, all the schools shut down, and kids just stay for themselves. And so they started ministry to kids. They, they started what we call a day center where they get all these teenagers and kids and they share in God's love with them. There's another story that's east of Ukraine. The story, another story is about Slava and Evelina. Those two of our students, they're living in southern Ukraine, close to Odessa. From the very first day, they started a refugee center for those people that were fleeing war into their area And now, I don't know how many thousand people they served. I have no idea. A lot. But now they serve in families that lost their husbands. We have a lot of our people killed. And all of them are husbands. And they left their wives and their children. And their center is serving them. About a month ago, we actually had our first funeral at the seminary when one of of our students was killed at the front line. And see, the problem with these soldiers that are being killed, they're leaving behind wives and very, very small children. And so they serve in those guys. There's another story. Zhenya. he's living in the city of Uzgorod. That's like a very western part of Ukraine. They don't even have a curfew. They don't have drone attacks, missile attacks. That's the only part in Ukraine that don't have any of that stuff because it's kind of behind their mountain ridge, and I don't know why the Russians do not attack that area. But it's about 400,000 people that moved into that area where he serves, internally displaced people. And last month they had a baptism in their local church, and they baptized 20 people out of that service, out of that center. And they would never be able to do that if that evil disruptive reality would not come into their life. And so when I look into future, I look with hope that God will help us not only to live through this war, but also to see what, what He can do. And I believe that He gave us an opportunity through this disruptive reality to transform our nation. I hope that because of the access to people that we have right now, in future, we will be known like South Korea after war. Not only with prosperous economy and people, but also with Christian influence around the world. I don't want our country to be like West Germany after war. Prosperous country, nice people, but not that much of Christian influence in Europe. God gave us an opportunity to see our people the one that live according to Christian values that follow Jesus. So I have one request and I would like to conclude with that. Next time, when you pray for Ukraine, don't pray just for peace or victory. Pray for transformation of our hearts. Because if our hearts would not be transformed, all of this peace and victory would not mean a lot for us thank you for your help thank you for being with us and thank you for continuing to be with us let us pray Lord Jesus I'm so grateful for my family my sisters and my brothers the one that belong to you Thank you for all your help that you send in through them, and we all join in prayer today, in the light of Christmas, hope, peace, and joy. That you will help us to use this opportunity of this terrible, terrible reality to bring so many people who could experience the same joy we experience, the same peace we experience, and the same hope that we have. So. My prayer is, transform the heart of Ukrainian people. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.